ended up in prison. Gangs, drugs destroyed my life, destroyed my life. And I committed every crime you can think of. I brought death into my family, which I'll explain to you in a minute. And I lost my freedom. The one thing that happened in prison that really opened my ears, my eyes, and my mind to my purpose was when I was asked to get involved in the Scared Straight program. I turned that program into another program called Project Pride, where we took inmates out to schools to talk to kids about drugs. And they turned Scared Straight into a TV show on A&E television, which I was honored to work with for the first five seasons. It was on television for nine seasons. I had the honor of being involved in the show for the first five seasons. And I call it an honor because it was. I call it an honor because of the opportunity it afforded me. I call it an honor because of the people that I met. But I hated every minute of it because it doesn't work. It just doesn't work, as I explained to you earlier. So I founded a nonprofit organization called Steered Straight in 2007. And now, you know, uh, 16 years, uh, 17 years later, um, we're going strong. And we are just about to hit 15 million students all across this country. So basically 47 years of personal experience. I know I only look 30, 32 years of age to all of you, right? Please tell me I agree. Please tell me I agree. So, but 47 years of personal experience. My addiction began at age 11. I'm 59. Oh my God, I can't even believe I'm saying that. I'm 59 years. In 47 years of personal experience, I'm here to tell you, I've never seen it worse than it is right now. I've never, ever seen it worse than it is right now. I love what John said earlier. He said, if he was doing the drugs he was doing today, he'd be dead. If I was doing the drugs I was doing today, I'd be dead. In the 80s and in the 90s, you could afford to make a mistake with fentanyl, with xylazine, with everything that's going on right now, you can't afford to make a mistake. We got kids taking pills in school that they think is a pill. We have kids hitting vapes. New Rochelle High School, kid walks into a bathroom with a vape pen, hits it, and he overdoses on fentanyl because fentanyl's in the vape pen. All across this country, I have 208 cases of kids who've died in the last year inside their school building. This past month in Loudoun County, Virginia, nine kids overdosed in one high school in one month. Nine kids overdosed in one month in Loudoun, Virginia, this past month from fentanyl poisoning. It is everywhere. And New York, New York is the second highest state in America for fentanyl death. Ohio's number one, New York is number two, Florida's number three. So guess what? Ohio, New York, Florida. Republican, Democrat, Republican, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter politics. This ain't a Republican thing. This ain't a Democrat thing. This ain't a rich thing. This isn't a poor thing. This isn't a Christian thing. This isn't a Jewish and atheist thing. This has no respect of demographics. Doesn't matter what it is. 219 funerals. I've stood before 219 caskets. Every color, race, and creed, every walk of life. This is affecting everyone. But America is not taking it seriously. So I have to tell people how serious we need to take this. 
I went from prison to purpose. God created me with value and purpose. I went from prison to purpose, from a mugshot in a prison cell to Good Morning America and audiences of 18,000 people, um, small schools. I was at a school last week with 210 kids, K to 12, in rural Washington state. I'll go anywhere and everywhere to share my story. And I surround myself with people who have you know, my best interests and that can uplift me and people that can encourage me, you know, people, places, and things, as John was saying, you know. Um, there's Daryl uh, in the upper left-hand corner. I hung out with him and he did a big event in Florida. I got to meet him. And um, I mean, I've just met incredible people on this journey since I found recovery and I put drugs down, you know. Um, in 2020, I was uh, recognized by the White House with my wife, that's my beautiful wife right there, with the 2020 Presidential Volunteerism Award. And um, it's an honor to be recognized by the White House, doesn't matter who the president is, it was Trump that awarded that. Some people said, oh my God, I wouldn't have taken an award from him. It's the Presidential Volunteerism Award. It's been given away by every president since Ford. If Biden gave it to me, would it be okay? And they'd be like, yeah, if Biden gave it to you, it'd be okay. All right, just checking, right? I uh, don't have anything to do with politics. I don't get into politics in any way, shape, and form. Republican, Democrat. There was a Native American um, poster that I bought recently, and it was a chief, an Indian chief, Native American chief, and he says, what if I told you the right wing and the left wing belong to the same bird? And I was like, wow, that's deep. Because guess what? Republicans and Democrats, they feed from the same trough. This is an epic failure of our government and our society. And so now I get to take selfies on the outside of police cars instead of sitting in the back of them. That was funnier in my head, too. Um, but I don't want to be in the back of police cars anymore. I just want to be recognized for what I'm doing. And it's not recognizing me, as John said, his glory. My story, but his glory. Because I wouldn't be standing on this stage if it wasn't for my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I wouldn't be standing on this stage if it wasn't for forgiving grace. 2 Corinthians 5.17, the old is passed away. I'm a new creation in Christ, the old is passed away. But since I have this experience, since I have this knowledge, I used to be obsessed with drugs. Now I'm obsessed with stopping drugs, right? I know Everything there is to need to know, and whatever I don't know, I learn, but I know everything I need to give to kids so my past doesn't become their future. And so I need to educate families. I need to educate communities. I need to educate churches. So I'm glad you're here. Do I wish there was a 1,000 people here today? Of course I do. It's about quality, not quantity. So I need you to understand what I'm about to share with you is absolutely so prevalent, so serious, I don't think there's anything else I could be sharing in the whole world other than what I'm about to share with you. I don't know if this has ever happened to you. You're driving your car and the check engine light goes off on your car. It's a warning sign on your dashboard. Could be minor, the gas cap could be loose. You could have a major engine repair coming. It could be a serious issue, or a, but it's a warning sign and you don't ignore it. You just don't. If you ignore it, the problem's gonna get worse. It could be a minor problem that turns into a new car, okay? So you don't take it lightly. It's a warning sign. 
And based on my 47 years of personal experience, the check engine light's going off on our children right now all across this country, and we're not taking it seriously. We're not taking it seriously. And we are in a crisis of epic proportions, and unfortunately, we're creating the next generation of addicts. We're creating it. So I had a video, but it's not playing. We have a prescription drug abuse crisis in our country, and kids are abusing prescription medication. As Kevin was sharing earlier about Skittle parties, or P-H-A-R-M, pharmaceutical parties, kids are getting drugs. Sometimes they're going to parties, and they're bringing drugs in as the admission to the parties. And all of these medications, all of these prescription pills, kids are abusing. And what I'm showing you right now is the top eight drugs that are leading to poison control calls and emergency room visits for children all across the country. It is so serious, it is absolutely devastating and leveling our children and their whole generation. And the crisis now is fentanyl. So these prescription pills are being abused, but now the cartels are making fentanyl into the pills because kids think prescription drugs are safe. Kids think prescription drugs are safe. We have to stop telling little kids that medicine is candy. That's what we do when they're infants and toddlers. To get them to take their medicine, we say it's candy. We have to stop doing that. Medicine isn't candy. We have to show kids how serious medicine is. And we have to prevent kids from believing that all medication, all pills are safe there's another picture of the kids with the pills in a bowl. That's what he was talking about. Skittles parties or farm parties, pill parties. It's real, and it's all across the country. So we have to have a conversation, but not just one. We have to have an ongoing conversation. So we have to talk about it, and we're not. So here's the gold standard. Parents, mentors, coaches, pastors, here's the gold standard. When you have kids, you need to eat dinner with your kids five nights a week. That's the gold standard. Sit down as a family, eat dinner as a family at least five nights a week. Teenagers who eat dinner frequently like that as a family are less likely to underage drink and use drugs. Teens who infrequently eat dinner as a family are four times more likely, according to the National Center on Addiction, four times more likely to underage drink and use drugs. So the reason for that is because kids need to get the truth about this from parents, grandparents, guardians. Not TikTok, not Instagram, not their peers. Kids need to get the truth about what I'm talking about from their parents and guardians. So every prevention organization in the entire country, every single prevention organization in the entire country tells you that's the gold standard. Eat dinner with your kids at least five nights a week. So that's what I was telling parents. I'm doing these events, I'm doing parent nights, I'm doing community events, and I'm saying, hey, Here's the gold standard. Parents, you have to eat dinner with your kids five nights a week. And it was 2018, and I was doing this, and I said to my wife, you know, I kind of feel guilty. She goes, why? I said, I'm telling parents you have to eat dinner with your kids five nights a week. And I don't think parents can do it. Traffic, two jobs, split shifts, picking up kids from this event, picking up kids from that event. I don't think parents could do it. And in fact, if we were raising our kids right now, we wouldn't be doing it. So how am I supposed to tell parents, this is what you got to do? I don't even think we'd be doing it if we were raising our kids. She says to me, listen, my wife, not only is she gorgeous, right, but she's the smartest person I know. Like, she, my wife has done one dumb thing in her entire life. 
Besides me, she's golden, right? She says to me, well, if parents can't eat dinner with their kids five nights a week, do you think that makes them a bad parent? I'm like, well, no, of course not. She says, well, why are you telling parents to eat dinner with their kids five nights a week? Babe, because every prevention organization in the country says it's the gold standard. And my wife says to me, yeah, this is 2018. This is in Ozzie and Harriet days. And I didn't even know my wife knew who Ozzie and Harriet was because she's younger than me. Anyway, um, I said, okay. She said, Michael, it's not the dinner. It's the conversation at the dinner table. It's not the dinner. If a parent can eat dinner with their kids five nights a week, that's great. But if parents can't, it doesn't make them a bad parent. You have to stop telling parents to eat dinner with their kids five nights a week. And you got to say to parents, you must have five conversations. Could be two breakfasts, two dinners, and a lunch. It could be three conversations at a table and two in the car. Who cares where the conversation takes place as long as it takes place? That's why I married her. She's the smartest girl I know. So I stopped telling parents to have five dinners, and I started saying have five conversations. But if I got up here and I started talking to you guys about ELF THC and ELF bars and wax and dab and shatter and triple C and robo tripping, would everybody know what I was talking about? Of course not. If you don't know what's going on, the terms, the slang, the vernacular, how do you talk to your kids about it if you don't even know about it? So my wife and I sat down 2018, 2019, and we wrote a book for parents. Unfortunately, I know every single thing you need to talk to your kids about uh, regarding this, right? Um, so we wrote a book, Table Talks and Dashboard Conversations. And this is on our website. I'm not trying to peddle books. I promise you, if you have kids, you'll never spend $20 more investing than this. It's three years of conversations. So parents started saying, when should we start talking to our kids about drugs? And I said, kindergarten. They're like, what? Yeah, kindergarten. Not heroin, fentanyl, okay? There's things to talk to your kids about. And my wife said to me, this book is really for middle school and high school aged parents, right? Of, uh, parents of middle school and high school kids. So we sat down and we wrote another book from K to five. So kindergarten through fifth grade is this book and middle school, high school is the other one. They're both on our website. They're on Amazon. They're $20 a piece. Again, I'm not trying to peddle books, but, I mean, that's a cup of coffee at Starbucks, $20. You know what I'm saying? If things get worse, it's going to be a gallon of gas. But um, this is going to give you three. This is three years of conversations, and, the, and this one's five years of conversations. So it's everything, that, and not just about drugs. You know, it's weird. 30%, 30% of the book is about drugs. Because drug addiction is not about drugs. People say, what? Yeah, drug addiction is not about drugs. Drug addiction is about the brain. And the three drugs, and this is what it's, one of the things that's explained in the book, the three drugs I want you to look at differently than you've ever had before is alcohol, nicotine, and marijuana. Alcohol is a depressant. Nicotine is a stimulant, and THC is a hallucinogen. We have to stop telling kids you don't drink till you're 21 because it's illegal. We have, to stop tell, we have to start telling kids, we have to tell kids, you don't drink alcohol because it's a depressant and your brain's developing until your late 20s. I mean, girls' brains develop faster than guys' brains because girls are smarter than boys. Women are smarter than men. I get that part. 
but the brain doesn't develop until you're in your late 20s. Your late 20s, so you cannot drink alcohol or use nicotine or smoke weed before your brains develop. I wish the drinking age was 30, but it's not. It's 21. And whoever came up with 21 never raised kids. Trust me, okay? Because tw- anybody ever raised a kid through past 21? Anybody ever raised a kid past 21? 21 is not an adult, okay? I don't care what anybody says. 21 is not an adult, right? So, but the law says 21 is an adult. So alcohol, nicotine, and marijuana, we have to start talking to kids differently about those three substances and why they shouldn't consume it. Now, this is how everyone in America dies. This is the cause of death for everyone in our country. Heart disease is the number one cause of death in America, and cancer is number two. But the third leading cause of death in America is respiratory disorders. Respiratory disease, COPD, chronic low respiratory disease, acute respiratory distress syndrome, uh, 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 emphysema, lung cancer, right? And lung cancer is in the cancer category, but lung respiratory disease, before it becomes a cancer, or if it's never diagnosed as a cancer, that's qualified as a respiratory disease. The third leading cause of death in America is respiratory disease because people have been smoking for 60, 70 years. But for kids 15 to 24 years of age, respiratory disease has now become number six. It's unheard of. It's jumped from 16 to six in 20 years. There has no other cause of death in the history of the world that has jumped 10 points in 20 years until respiratory disease. Now, I know why respiratory disease is number three for all Americans, because people have been smoking for decades. How could it possibly be number six for children It's called vaping. See, vaping is going to become the number one cause of death in America for all Americans. And America thinks vaping is safer than cigarettes. Why do they think that? Because that's what the tobacco industry told us. Why do they think that? Because that's what the tobacco industry got the media to tell us. Vaping is not safer than cigarettes. In fact, vaping is 10 times worse than cigarettes. If someone ever asks me, hey, man, I smoke and I can't quit. You think I should go on a vape to do it? I go, absolutely not. First of all, if you think smoking's hard to quit, vaping is a thousand times harder to quit. The synthetic TH, synthetic nicotine level in vaping is three times the concentration level of nicotine. So one of those little pods in a nicotine vaping device is three packs of cigarettes. One pod is three packs of cigarettes. There's more carcinogens and metals and toxins in vaping devices than there is in combustible cigarettes. I don't care if you roll your own or you buy cigarettes. If you get them at an Indian reservation, you buy them at the convenience store. It doesn't matter. Vaping is worse than cigarettes. And now respiratory disease is the sixth biggest killer between 15 and 24 because of it. Now, the crisis that we're in the middle of right now, fentanyl poisoning, that's really bad. And it's come on so fast, we've got to address it. In 19 American states, the number one cause of death for 20-year-old kids and younger is fentanyl poisoning. And New York, it says nine right there. It's supposed to say 19. Uh, New York is one of those states. The number one cause of death in New York under 20 overall is fentanyl poisoning. The number one cause of death for kids. So... They made an announcement last year that 107,735 people died from an overdose of drugs. It's the worst year in American history. And one week later, they said fentanyl poisoning is 80% of it. 
Fentanyl poisoning is the number one killer in America, 18 to 45 years of age. 18 to 45 years of age, the number one killer in our country is fentanyl poisoning. And the number one fastest growing demographic in America, all 50 states, dying from fentanyl poisoning is 14 and younger. Why isn't that lead story on Fox and CNN and MSNBC and ABC and CBS and NBC? Why doesn't the government take it? You mean to tell me that the fastest growing demographic dying from fentanyl poisoning in our country is 14 and younger? Do you think if that was guns in schools, they'd get some attention? I, I, I'm not being facetious. I'm not being a smart aleck. I'm telling you, this is not even getting attention. 14 and younger? We have a crisis. What are, what are we going to do? Well, that's a bag of fentanyl on the right-hand side. I took that picture at the Philadelphia Precinct 13. The two bags by the keyboard, I took that picture at the Maricopa County Drug Locker in Phoenix, Arizona. If you put your finger in any of those bags and touch you to your tongue, you're dead. Like, you're dead. I could have six Narcans lined up, and if you don't know what Narcan is, Narcan is a good drug and a nasal spray, also a needle, also an auto-injector, but 90% of the time in a nasal spray, that if someone is dying of a heroin overdose or a fentanyl overdose or an opioid pain medication overdose, you can bring them back from the dead by ingesting this drug into their nose. If you get to them in time. Because if the, if the respiratory system shut down, you ain't getting them to them in time. And here's the scary thing. With fentanyl, if you have Narcan and you give it to them, you might not be able to bring them back. You might need two Narcans. You might need three. You might need six. I'm talking to EMTs and paramedics right now that are hitting people with six Narcans to bring them back because they're not poison right there. If you put your finger in any of them bags and touch it to your mouth, I could have six Narcans on this table lined up and I might not be able to bring you back. It is pure fentanyl. And it started flooding into our country, flooding into our country in 1999. And there was a lot of things going on in our country, but it started to flood into our country. And in 1999, 1999, it started to flood into America. And in the year 2000, it started to be tracked. It was a big bust in 2006 in uh, about 80 miles south of Nogales, Arizona. But um, in 2014-15, it really ticked up. But in 2016, look at it. It exploded. It exploded, okay? And so I was doing these presentations in New Jersey at the time, and I was trying to show people, look at the escalation of heroin. That's the blue line. Look at heroin. That's a storm. Well, if heroin's a storm, what would you call fentanyl? A tornado? It hit like a, just a freight train. So at the same time, pill press machines started to flood into America. Pill press machines started to flood into America. And I went on the Anderson Cooper show on St. Patrick's Day 2017 with two people from the DEA. Customs and Border Protection put out a report that pill press machines were flooding into our country at 19 times the rate as they were six years earlier. 19 times the rate pill press machines that were flooding into America from China were coming into our country. And they, CNN asked the DEA to come on and do a show on it. Fentanyl, okay, was pouring into America for years and it was going into heroin. The reason why you'd want to put fentanyl into your heroin is because it makes the heroin more potent. So if I take a little smidgen of that little heroin bag right there, I mean that fentanyl bag right there, and I put that little smidgen, couple of granulars, into a bag of heroin and sell it on the street to a heroin addict, they love it. 
They love it because it's 10 times the potency of heroin. Some people say 100 times. What difference does it make? It's a lot more potent. So the addict loves it. And for the cartel, it's one-tenth the price. Fentanyl costs one-tenth what heroin does. So this is a great business model. You got something that's 10 times more potent that costs you 10% of what it costs you normally. That's a great business model for the cartels. And it's so powerful, it's actually going to kill a lot of heroin addicts. But this is going to sound twisted. To a lot of heroin addicts, the best thing I could hear is that somebody died from heroin. Because instead of running from that heroin, that's what I'm going after. It doesn't make any sense to a normal human being. But to a heroin addict, if it's killed that person, it's got to be really good. So that's what I want. That's twisted. I understand. This exploded the heroin problem in our country. We went from 10% of heroin being laced with fentanyl to 90% of heroin being laced with fentanyl. Well, then why did the pill press machines started coming into our country? Well, the heroin addicts is one smidgen of, an ar of, a, of a market, one smidgen of a market. But the pill market is tenfold. Because now you got kids in the suburbs that are just taking Xanax. You got kids in the suburbs that are just taking a Percocet. You got college kids bringing pills to parties. So the cartels were like, let's hook some of them up. Let's hook some of them up. And pill press machines started flooding into America. So Anderson Cooper asks the deputy director of the DEA on this show, why would China be sending pill press machines into America? He didn't get it. And it was like one of the highlights of my life. The deputy director of the DEA said, let's, let's ask the drug addict. That was me. I knew they brought me for a reason. So he says, well, Mr. DeLeon, why would China be sending pill press machines into America? And I said, well, let me explain something to you, Mr. Cooper. I didn't have this picture, this exact picture, but I had another picture of a bag of fentanyl. And I said, if I take a little smidgen of that fentanyl and I drop it into a bag of heroin and I can sell it on the street for 5 or $10, if I take the same smidgen of fentanyl and I pill press it into a pill and make it look like a Percocet or an Oxy or a Xanax, I can get $30, $40, $50 for it. Why would I want to take something and make $5 from it when I could make $50 from it? And cartels were shipping pill press machines into America, all over this country. And you could buy them on Amazon. You could buy them on Walmart.com. You can go to Google. And so that's exactly what I did. The blue machine on the left-hand side, I bought at Walmart.com. The pill press machine on the right-hand side, I bought that on Amazon. I bought them online and had them sent to my house by Federal Express. And I started making pills on my dining room table with the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation. I wasn't using fentanyl, just so you know. The bar right there, the, in the red box that says fake, that's the first one I made. Look at it, next to the real one. You can tell the difference, right? Yeah, I got pretty good pretty quick, though. You see those Percocet 10s on the upper right-hand side? That's what they are, Perc 10s. The one in the middle, the line in the middle, those are real. The two on the outside, I made them. I made them myself with that silver machine Okay, right there. And if they were sitting in your hand, you couldn't tell the difference between the two of them. On the upper left-hand picture is Oxy-80s. I made 200 Oxy-80s with that silver machine. And I took 20 of them to a conference of law enforcement officers in Baltimore, Maryland. And I put Sharpie dots on the bottom of my 20 fake Oxy-80s, and I put them on the booth table. And I had a friend of mine, a pharmacist, come with a bottle of real Oxy-80s. He took out 10 
he did not put Sharpie dots on the bottom, and he laid him with my 20 fake ones with Sharpie dots on the bottom, and we mixed them all up, 30 pills on a table. And we had 425 drug recognition experts, they're called DREs, that's what cops are certified if they're recognized drugs and they're experts and they're certified, DREs. We had 425 cops come through our booth, and we asked them, split the 20 from the 10. 20 of these are fake, 10 of them are real. Split them up. And not one could do it. Not one. These are the 425 best cops in America in recognizing drugs. If they can't tell the difference between a real pill and a fake pill, how can you? Well, how can your kids? So I'm trying to finish this movie called Fake and Fatal because I've been screaming about fentanyl since 2010. 2010 when I lost four kids on my caseload. I interviewed a border patrol agent who opened up his uh, back of his van and they had a person in there and the guy had 40 bags, 20 blues and 20 whites. He had 40 bags of fentanyl as he was strolling across the border. It's coming through the open border. It's coming through our ports of entry. It's coming into our country and we have to stop it, but we're not gonna stop it at the border. You could build a wall from one end of Mexico to the other and it ain't gonna stop the fentanyl from coming in because we have to stop it at its source. We have to stop it at its core and we're not doing that and we're not paying attention. Our government is not paying attention. So here's every state in America is uh, affected by this. Every state in America, and unless I'm mistaken, uh, Ohio's number one and New York's number two, right? Florida's number two. Oh, so this is, okay, so New York just jumped Florida. This is, tw this is 15 to 21, and 15 to 22, New York is number two. It jumped Florida. So we have a crisis of epic proportions, and we're losing people all across this country to a poison called fentanyl, and it's originating in China, it's coming into Mexico, and five cartels, two mainly, mainly New, Jalixto and, uh, New Generation and Jalixto, Sinaloa cartel, um, they're pouring this stuff into our country. And it's not just New York, it's not just Ohio, it's Arizona with a 2,000% increase all across the country. That little girl on the left-hand side, 17 years of age, the girl on her left, you're right, that was her best friend, Mary. Mary gave her a Xanax pill. Faith, the little girl, the light-skinned girl, she said she was anxious. She had depression. And Mary said, well, I got the solution for that. It's a Xanax. But she got the Xanax off Snapchat. It wasn't from a doctor. It was a fentanyl pill. And she handed it to her best friend, and her best friend took it and died, 17 years of age. Okay, this uh, light-skinned girl on the left-hand side, Bakersfield, California, 16. Destiny Ayala, she died in her school building. A kid gave her a pill in school. She went in the girl's locker room and took it, sat on the bench, feeling dizzy, lied down on the bench. Coach couldn't wake her up five minutes later. The boy on the right, Zach Didier, he was 17. He was a junior, and he wasn't even going to have to go to senior year of high school. He was so far ahead, he was going to college as a junior. 17 years of age, he got a pill offline. Gunner, the kid in the upper left hand, he was the valedictorian of his high school in Prescott, Arizona two years ago. And the kid next to him, Jake, he was number four. First and fourth in the graduating class. They both had college scholarships at a D2 school to play football. And after a football game one night, they went to a party. And at the party, they had a bowl of pills on the table. And they each took one, Percocets, and put them in their pocket. 
and they went back to Gunner's house. Seven kids at that party overdosed on the pills that were in that bowl. Seven kids, but Gunner and Jake didn't hear about that because they went back to Gunner's house, and they took those pills, and they died in their basement, Gunner's basement. Gunner's mom wakes them up, tries to wake them up in the morning, but they're dead. At the eulogy that I went to, the father says, a pain that will never end, a hole that will never be filled, a life that will never be brought back, a beautiful life gone forever. At, nine, at, at, at 19 years of age, valedictorian of your high school class, 19 years of age, playing football in college, and you take a pill, one pill, and it kills you, right? So uh, this is Chase, 30 years of age, one pill killed him. This is Shelby, 24 years of age. Her parents are my best friends down in Tennessee now. They lost her beautiful daughter three years after she gave birth to her son. So when I got out of prison in 2007, um, I went back to college. And I was doing a lot of things. I was doing this. I went back to college. I was um, getting degrees. And I, had a de I got a degree in addictions counseling, right? And I started to see this happening in 2010. Fentanyl pills, fentanyl molly, fentanyl and cocaine, fentanyl and heroin. How about that? fentanyl and candy. There was two guys from Baltimore, Maryland that were busted in Hartford, Connecticut. They had all those fentanyl pills in that bag inside nerds boxes and Skittles bags, okay? This is gummies, um, Georgia. I have 20 cases of gummies, but this is Athens, Georgia. They're putting fentanyl into gummies and selling them to kids. Here's a woman who is bringing 21,000 fentanyl pills and candy wrappers from uh, Mexico into LAX airport and she got busted. 21,000 pills. I was in Australia doing school, Sydney, in 2019, and there was a criminal syndicate gang there that was sending crystal meth into America. And we're sitting in the hotel room one early morning before the first school, and the guy that I was on tour with said, Check this out. I'm like, Wow. He said, Yeah, that's crazy. Why would they put it into liquid form? It would be too hard to get back to crystal ice or meth, crystal in America. And I said, they're not going to get it back to ice. This is, this is turned into liquid, not for smuggling. This is turned into liquid, meth liquid, because it's going in vapes. And he looks at me like I'm crazy. He said, you're a conspiracy theorist. A conspiracy theorist? We got home November 2nd, 2019. The day before we got home, six kids in West Virginia were rushed to the hospital out of their high school. They had meth in their vape pens. I'm sorry, heroin in their vape pens. Two of them died. Six kids rushed out of a high school, heroin in the vape pens, and two of them don't make it. Same month, four kids in Salt Lake City, Utah, rushed to the hospital. They had meth in their vape pens. I took the article and I sent it to my friend who called me a conspiracy theorist. I said, hey, bro, you still think I'm a conspiracy theorist? Here's four kids, one dead, from meth and vape pens. This past February, a girl in Mifflin County, Pennsylvania, 15 years of age, she buys a cartridge from a kid in school, goes into the bathroom, puts it in her vape pen, and hits it. She's feeling dizzy on the way back to class, so she steps into the library, and she sits at a table and puts her head on her arm, and five minutes later, a librarian can't wake her up. She passed away in the library of her high school, fentanyl and a vape cartridge. People said, oh, you're crazy. I said, yeah, they lost three more after her. Four kids have died at Mifflin County, Pennsylvania from fentanyl in vape cartridges. Here's a 15-year-old girl in Sems, Alabama, who tells her parents the week before she dies, mom, dad, I think kids in school have fentanyl in their vape pens. Then she hits one. 
Like, how invincible do you have to be? You tell your parents the week before you die you think there's poison in kids' vape pens, and then you go and hit one? She died. She died. Five kids, football players, Selma High School, Selma, Alabama, after a football practice one day. One kid's in a locker room. He pulls out a vape pen, shares it with four other kids. And all five kids hit the floor. And the coaches are freaking out, like, what's going on? They realize, so they run and get Narcan. They run and get Narcan in the coaches' room. They had four, and there's five kids. Student dies. Wow, student dies. So here's Timothy Parker, upper right-hand picture. Uh, Everybody loved him, life of the party. Like, he was just a great kid. And he was the 10th student to die at North Carolina State University last school year from September to December. He was the 10th one, first one to make the paper. 10th kid dies at North Carolina State University September to December. They lose three more in the spring. They lost five students in September of this year. Five kids died at North Carolina State University in September. It's everywhere all across the country. New Rochelle, New York. This is a real interesting story, right? I ain't too far from here, right? New Rochelle. Boy walks into a bathroom with a vape pen. He's got those two cartridges right there. He puts one card in the pen, goes into the bathroom. The other card's in his pocket, and he hits the vape pen. Within a minute, he's on the floor. A boy walks into the bathroom. Thank God. He runs against the school resource officer who radios the nurse, and the nurse has Narcan. My first question was, why didn't the school resource officer have Narcan on his belt? But whatever. He radios the nurse. The nurse runs down to the bathroom, and she brings the kid back with Narcan. And the police test the vape and test the cartridges and test positive for fentanyl. If that nurse didn't have Narcan, and in New York State, it is not mandatory for every school to have Narcan in their building, which is absurd. It should be, and it's not just New York, okay? There's only 18 states in America that mandate Narcan in schools. Should be 50. But anyway, I'm working on that. Anyway, the nurse had Narcan. New Rochelle, New York was proactive, and the nurse had Narcan. And she brings it back from the dead. If she didn't have Narcan, I'd be talking about another dead child in a school. So she brings him back from the dead. And he's okay, right? Well, uh, the superintendent of New Rochelle uh, schools um, is on the press talking about it. And all of a sudden, one week later, he resigns. And I was like, whoa, something's up. And the school district comes out and says, it was not fentanyl, community Don't be alarmed. It wasn't fentanyl. It was just weed. (laughs) First of all, just weed? The kids on the floor, not breathing, lips are blue, according to the nurse, cold skin, according to the nurse. She brings them back with Narcan, and now you're saying it's just weed? School district says, yep, we sent it off to a lab and had it tested, and it didn't test for any fentanyl. So I guess the cops who tested for fentanyl, they're lying, right? Or they're wrong? The cops are wrong. No, couldn't, they couldn't be wrong. They couldn't be right. It, you, you, so I said, all right, I have a lab in New Jersey. I'll test them. So I asked the school district for the vape and the cartridges. And lo and behold, no one can find them. They have disappeared. Okay, so we can't test it. So the school district's running around saying, there was no fentanyl. Don't be alarmed. Don't be alarmed. Okay, don't be alarmed. Narcan does not bring you back from a THC overdose. Narcan doesn't work on alcohol. Narcan doesn't work on meth and cocaine. Narcan only works when it's an opioid. And the nurse 
Okay, you want to dispute the police officers? You want to say the field tests were wrong? Uh, that's fair. I talked to the nurse. She brought him back with Narcan. It wasn't weed. It wasn't weed. It was fentanyl. But whatever. What difference does it make? We had a kid. We had a kid who was dead on a bathroom floor. So I came out of prison in 2007, and I, I'm a filmmaker. I'm a video editor. That's what I love to do. And I went back to college to get my degree in counseling. And I had 26 kids on my caseload. And in February of 2010, three years home from prison, I lose four kids on my caseload to a fentanyl-laced heroin overdose. Four kids within 13 days of each other. I was devastated, as were their families, as was the community. And the toxicology report on all four kids revealed it was fentanyl. About three months after this, in uh, May of 2010, there was a big press conference in Philadelphia. I was there. Governor of Pennsylvania, Mayor of Philadelphia, the DEA, the district attorney, they have an announcement. In the span of 13 days, when I lost four kids off my caseload, there was 28 kids who died from fentanyl-laced heroin in Camden and Kensington, Philadelphia, within a 13-day time span. February 2010. It was the first fentanyl test of the cartels in Philadelphia. 28 people died in 13 days. Four of those 28 people were on my caseload. And the district attorney and the mayor of Philadelphia and the governor of Pennsylvania says, we're going to catch the nurse or the orderly who's smuggling fentanyl out of hospitals. <laughs> I'm like, excuse me, excuse me. What are you talking about? Fentanyl it has to come from hospitals. I'm like, this is coming from China. Don't you understand what this is all about? And I'm like, you know, they're, they're shutting me up. And the DEA of, of, of Pennsylvania sat with me and with two DEA people. It was 2010. Who am I? I'm just some ex-convict, ex-gang member, ex-drug addict coming out of prison. Who am I? I'm nobody. Where's all your degrees? Oh, I'm working on a few of them now. But no, are you a PhD? You have 80 years in law enforcement? No, I'm a drug addict who died six times and went to prison. Oh, so I don't know anything. Okay, all right. So I said, you know what? I'm going to make a movie about this. I'm going to make a documentary movie. These people don't know what they're talking about. I'm going to make a documentary movie about it. I shot this from February. No, I shot this from May till December of 2010. I could have shot this this weekend. Nothing has changed. Okay. You can watch it. I put it on YouTube so everybody could see it. It's 54 minutes after, if you want my business card, I have four films. They're all on my card if you'd like to watch them. But I go to Camden, New Jersey. I don't know if you've ever heard of Camden, New Jersey. I'm sure it's not on anybody's bucket list in this room, right? I go to Camden, New Jersey, and I get out of my car, and I start walking down the street looking for somebody who is addicted to heroin so I could make this documentary film. And I met four kids on the first day of filming. The girl in the upper right-hand picture is the first girl I met in Camden, New Jersey in May of 2010. She was living in that abandoned house underneath her. And I walked over to her and I said, hey, how you doing? I'm making a documentary film on addiction. And with all due respect, you look like you can help me out. I'd like to tell your story. She said, tell my story to who? Well, I go into schools and I talk to young people about staying away from drugs and alcohol. She's like, you're going to show this to kids? I said, yes. So she pulls up her arm sleeves. She said, here, go show kids this. She says, go show kids this. 
I don't know how old she looks to you in this picture. She's 20. That girl is 20. And two years earlier, she walked across her high school graduation stage to accept valedictorian of her graduating class. That girl in that picture two years earlier graduated top of her class from Rancocas Valley High School in Mount Holly, New Jersey. Her parents were millionaires. I wish I could show you her graduation picture. I had it. I was showing it. But her sister saw me at an event one day doing this, and she came up to me afterwards in hysteric crying, heaving, like begging me not to show her sister's picture. <clears throat> and I said, I have to show it. I'm sorry. I, I, you don't have to see it. I have to educate kids. She says, I just want you to not show my sister's picture. And I says, I have to show it. She goes, no, that's not my sister. Meaning the girl her sister became, she didn't identify as her sister. But the graduation picture could have been on the cover of Teen Vogue magazine. So I'm just trying to show you, that's a 20-year-old girl who two years earlier could have been on the cover of Teen Vogue magazine. So what happened with her was she went to Temple University on a full scholarship, <laughs> academic and athletic scholarship. She goes to Temple University. She becomes a cheerleader for the Temple Owls football team. She's on the top of a pyramid one day, and she falls, and she lands on her tailbone. She fractured it. So they rush her to the hospital. And the emergency room doctor at the hospital in Philadelphia puts her on Vicodin, Percocet, morphine liquid, and sends her on home. Within two weeks, she has consumed one month of pain medication, and she shows up to the doctor, and the doctor's like, slow down, little lady. You're taking opioids too fast. You've got to taper and slow down. We're going to double your dosages. <laughs> they doubled her dosage, and they sent her on home but told her she needed to taper. One week later, she's at the doctor, out of opioid medication, she's consumed a double month dose in one week. And the doctor cuts her off, cuts her off. She takes her MRIs and she goes to another doctor. The doctor puts the MRIs up in the light box. Oh my gosh, young lady, you must be in excruciating pain. What can we do for you? Well, Doc, Oxycontin and Percocet together seem to help with my pain. Oxycontin, Percocet, what else can we do for you? She's like, wow, that was easy. So she goes to see a second doctor, gives her opioids, a third, a fourth, a fifth, a sixth, a seventh, an eighth. She was doctor shopping eight doctors getting opioids and starting to sell some of them to pay for the prescriptions and all, you know? Well, something happened at that very moment, 2010, when I was filming this movie, called the Prescription Drug Monitoring Program, the PDMP. New York participated, every state except Missouri participated, right? And Pennsylvania, all these eight doctors she was seeing, they started seeing, wait a minute, she's seeing all these doctors. Oh, they all cut her off. So she walks 10 blocks down to a section of Philadelphia called Kensington, and she picks up some heroin. And that took one month, that took one month. When I interviewed her, she was shooting 30 bags of heroin a day. And she died nine days after I filmed her, nine days later. So I didn't wanna quit, I wanted to keep going, I wanted to tell her story. So I interviewed African-American kids, I interviewed Caucasian kids, I interviewed Hispanic kids. That boy on the upper right-hand picture is the son of a police chief in Burlington, New Jersey. That girl in the upper left-hand picture, she's a pastor's daughter. 
Okay, I, I had two Amish kids in my movie. Those two kids on the bottom right, they were Lancaster kids, Pennsylvania. They grew up in an Amish community. And now they're on the streets of Camden hooked on heroin. Every creed, every color, every race, every walk of life I interviewed for 10 months. And I interviewed 137 kids, 137 kids, all addicted to heroin. 121 of them were on opioids before they were on heroin. It was 88% of them. A dentist or a doctor prescribed them opioids, they got addicted to the opioids, and they ended up on heroin. And that's what my movie was supposed to be about. Opioids leading to heroin. But I found something out while editing. 137 out of 137 had three things in common. Every single one of the kids, before the age of 18, alcohol, nicotine, and marijuana. Alcohol, nicotine, and marijuana. That's the core of addiction. That is the foundation of addiction. 90% is the accepted number. I'm telling you it's 95, but 90, 95% of every person in America who struggles with addiction begins with three substances before the age of 18. Alcohol, nicotine, and marijuana. Now, let me just give you one quick example of a kid I couldn't get through to who wouldn't listen to me. That's Victoria Siegel. She's 18 years of age in that picture, 18. She looked like a drug addict to you? Yeah, well, she was. Full-blown. A family like you wouldn't believe. What an incredible family, right? Seven brothers and sisters. <laughs> Seven. And her parents are multi-billionaires, would it be? Now, David Siegel is the largest timeshare holder in the world, one of the largest real estate holders in America, and Victoria's mother, Jackie Siegel, she is the queen of Versailles. She's the queen of Versailles. She was Mrs. Florida, Mrs. America, Mrs. World. Now she owns all three pageants. They gave her a Broadway show six months ago. She's very eccentric with a fleet of planes. She flies the world and dines with kings and queens. Like, I can't relate, right? Billionaire, right? So... Um, they built the largest house in America. It's in Orlando, Florida. It's 90,000 square feet. <laughs> that's a mall, okay? But they built a house that's 90,000 square feet. It is the largest residential property in this country. So we did a documentary about it, and Discovery Plus liked it so much, they turned it into a reality TV show. And right after season one aired, they lost their daughter, Victoria, to an overdose of drugs at 18 years of age. And two weeks after the funeral, mom finds her diary in her nightstand. And so we published her diary into a book. It's on Amazon, it's a bestseller, but this book I see every single day changing lives, changing lives. I give this book out to high school kids and it's driving more kids to counselors than anything I've ever seen. I believe every parent in America should read this book. It's called Victoria's Voice. Now, I give it away to high school kids. And the reason I only give it to high school kids and not middle school kids is because it was written by a teenage girl. It's her actual diary. The only thing I weaved out of the diary was other kids' names. But I left all the F-bombs in there, all the profanity. There's 219 F-bombs in the book. I wish she didn't write like that. I wish kids didn't use profanity. They do. And it's how kids relate to other kids like this situation. So I give this book out after parental permission slips are provided to the school. And I have 38 letters written to me in the last two years by kids who said the reason they didn't go through with their suicide was because of me and this book. 
So 38 kids said yes to life. I'm going to keep giving the book away. But what I want people to understand is that addiction begins as a teenager. As a teenager between 7 and 17. So when I put out the movie Kids Are Dying, I got a phone call from a mom in Covington, Kentucky. And she said, you think New Jersey's bad? Come to Covington, Kentucky. So I go to Covington, Kentucky. I interview this woman who buried her 26-year-old son to an overdose of heroin. And I'm packing up my camera equipment. And she said, do you want to talk to other parents? I said, other parents? You know other parents who've lost their kids to an overdose of heroin? She goes, this is Covington, Kentucky. How many people would you like to talk to? She called 26 of her friends. I interviewed 27 parents who buried their child to an overdose of heroin in Covington, Kentucky. There's an organization coalition there now. These moms and dads have formed a club, okay? And it's called the Northern Kentucky Heroin Alliance. There's 270 parents in that club right now, eight years later. 270 from Covington, Kentucky, a suburb of Cincinnati. So I went and interviewed these 27 people. I was at my hotel, Holiday Inn Express on the Cincinnati River. I'll never forget it. And I called my wife. And I said, I know I've been on the road a lot, but I need to go interview other parents. What I did was I put this picture and the cover of the Kids Are Dying DVD because I put, it out, I put them all out on DVD. I put them on a Facebook post. And I said, if you've seen Kids Are Dying, I am making a national version of it called an American Epidemic. I just interviewed 27 parents in Covington, Kentucky who lost their children to an overdose of drugs. And I want to see if there's parents in other states that have lost their kids to an overdose of drugs who would want to be in this national movie. And within three hours, I had 15,000 comments on the post. Within three hours from every state in America. And a lot of them were just tagging people. Hey, look at this. Hey, look at this. Hey, look at this. So I went to 30 states and I interviewed 500 total parents who buried their kids in overdose of drugs. This was 2015. I went to 30 states and I interviewed 500 parents who lost their kids to an overdose of heroin. And I asked them all a lot of questions. But I asked every single mom and dad, before the age of 18, did your son or daughter use alcohol? And 500 said yes. Did they smoke weed? 500 said yes. Did they smoke cigarettes, vape, or chew tobacco? 500 said yes. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't, it was 100%. Every kid who went in the ground from a heroin overdose or a poisoning, Alcohol, nicotine, and marijuana before the age of 18. I said, this changed my life forever. 2015, I was in Denver, Colorado, interviewing a woman whose daughter dies the night before graduation. She was salutatorian of the graduating class. She was given the commencement address at the University of Colorado at Boulder. And the night before graduation, she dies of a heroin overdose. I was devastated. I walked out of that woman's house crying my eyes out. It was the worst interview I ever did in my life. I was sick, nauseous, throwing up next to my car. I was so devastated. And so I wanted to take a walk. I just took a walk. My cameraman followed me because he thought I was going to jump off the cliff or something. So we're walking down into Boulder, and I come across this marijuana dispensary. Two years earlier, the state of Colorado just legalized marijuana for recreational purposes. And I know New York did that. That's not what happened, just so you know. 
New York, Colorado, Washington, Arizona, and Nevada. We didn't legalize marijuana. That's not what happened. They say we legalized marijuana. No. We commercialized and industrialized it, and we turned it into something else. And the stuff that they're selling as marijuana is not marijuana. It has changed, and it is leading to all of this crisis violence. You want to talk about violence? Listen, this ain't a gun issue. And I don't debate on the gun issue. I'm a convicted felon. I can't own a gun. So I stay out of the gun issue just like I stay out of the abortion. I stay out of issues that I'm not personally involved in. The violence, the people pushing people into subway trains, the people walking down in Bronx and stabbing people for no reason, beating people with bats. Are you kidding me? This is about high-potent THC, and I'm going to show you in a minute. This is about high-potent THC mixed with pharmaceutical psychiatric drugs. The kid who went into that Uvalde school in Texas after he shot his grandmother in the face and stole the truck and went to the school and crashed at the school and walked into the building and assassinated all those little babies in an elementary school classroom, five years, five years on psych drugs and vaping high-potent THC. Nobody wants to tell the truth, and that's why I am grateful to be here today because if we, as Christians, are afraid to tell the truth, we're doomed. We're doomed. I know what scripture says. God wants us to step up and be courageous and be unashamed, not just of him, not just of the gospel, unashamed of truth, of truth. Okay. I was in a high school the other day and I said, hey kids, men can't get pregnant. Men can't get pregnant. Just saying, you know, no, don't say that. Why? Why? Satan is deceitful, and he's cunning and baffling and powerful and strategic, but he does not have power. Jesus Christ has power. <laughs> Satan is a bug, okay? And he's powerful, but not to those who are grounded in Scripture, surrounded by the Holy Spirit, armed, as his <laughs> Ephesians says, armed, okay, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But this is the same thing. This is what's destroying us. So I walked into this marijuana dispensary in 2015, and I said, oh, my God, I, I, I can't believe this is happening. So I called my wife again. <laughs> hey, remember I said I was coming home next week? <laughs> mm, I'm going to be gone a little bit longer. She goes, let me guess. You're making another movie. <laughs> I go, yeah, how would you guess? So I made a movie called Marijuana X. I call marijuana, Marijuana X, because it ain't marijuana anymore. This is a 54-minute movie that's also on YouTube. I'm telling you, you should watch it. If you want to see what's coming your way, New York, this is the absolute preview. So I, I go into a marijuana dispensary in Denver, and those two little vape vials on the left-hand side were sitting on the counter. And the sign over the vials said liquid weed. And I said to the kid behind the counter, hey, bro, come here. What's liquid weed? He said, now you can vape it. I said, vape it? Vape, you mean like that thing that they're developing to help people get off smoking? He goes, yeah. Oh, how do you vape weed? Explain this to me. I don't understand. So it was 2015. It was May 2015. And I looked at these vials and that device right there, that vaping device, I looked at it and I said, oh my God. Uh, I know where this is going. <laughs> So I walk out of the uh, store, and I took a picture on my phone of that vaping device, and I sent it to my wife. 
And I texted it to her. And she said, what's that? And I said, I'll tell you later. And she called me right back. She said, no, tell me now. What is it? What is it? I said, that is a vape. She goes, oh, yeah, to help people get off smoking. I'm like, yeah, that's what I thought. But no, I just bought this at a marijuana dispensary. And here's the thing about vaping. It was never invented to help people quit smoking. It was invented to hook our children on nicotine so they would become cigarette smokers. And in the process, they realized this can be the drug delivery system for every drug on earth. Because why would I want to sit at a bus stop with a needle in my arm when I could vape my heroin? Why would I be sitting there in a car with a crack pipe or a meth pipe when I could vape my meth, vape my crack? Why would I want to take a risk of getting a paraphernalia charge in a car if I get pulled over for a taillight because I got a needle or a crack pipe on my uh, passenger seat when I could have a vaping device? Here's my clicker. I'm using a clicker. They made vapes look exactly like this, like they were thumb drives. A cop can't tell what's in my vape. He can't tell what's in my vape. He'd have to open it without probable cause. This is going to become the drug delivery system for every drug on earth. That's what I said in 2015. And I was right. So that kid right there using that vaping device, that's my cameraman, Sean. I had two cameramen and a sound guy. I had a single room in Aurora, Colorado at a hotel, and they had a suite right next to me. Three of them, one of me. One night, Sean goes into my camera bag and pulls the vape out and pulls the vials out. And he puts it in it, and the guy at the dispensary told us how potent it was. So Sean goes to Kyle, the other camera guy, hey man, film me, I'm gonna hit this and I'm gonna get all zooted and Michael loved the footage so much he'll put it in the movie. The guy at the dispensary said this was really potent. So I'm gonna hit it and I'll be laughing and falling off the ottoman and it'll be really funny. So that's what they did. That's a still from the actual video of Sean hitting that vape. So he hits it and nothing happens and he hits it and he's kind of feeling funny and he hits it again and again and again and then he has a grand mal seizure and falls into the coffee table face first. A grand mal seizure. He's 21. So they freak out and they call 911. And at 1.30 in the morning, there's a bash on my door and I open it like, what's going on? And the wheel of the stretcher hit my door as the EMTs were taking that 21-year-old kid to the hospital. He was in the hospital for 38 days. He's now 27, he's about to turn 28. He lives with his 65-year-old mother. He's never filmed again. He's never left the house again. Uh, he uh, is a functional, uh, developmentally disabled, never uttered a word since that day. He had irreversible brain damage. He had a stroke at 21 and a grand mal seizure. Now, I got freaked out. <laughs> I was like, oh, uh, what's going on? Like, I was really concerned, not only for him, of course, but what did I do? I bought it at a store, but I'm the one who had it possession, and he went into my camera bag and used it. So I wasn't calling Denver cops. A little bit about my background, okay, I'm just, anyway, I wasn't calling state police in Colorado. You can relate, right? So I call the DEA. I had contacted the DEA, and I said, listen, something's wrong here, man. I need you to test this product. I told them what happened. And they actually went to the hospital. They interviewed Sean's mother and everything, and tried to interview Sean. But they, I gave them the vials, and I said, you need to test this, because there's something in this, obviously, it's poison. So they tested it. And three weeks later, they come to see me, and they say, you need to take us to the place where you bought this. And I said, why? 
It's 86% THC. And I looked at them and I said, you're out of your mind. I have grown more marijuana in my life than anybody you've ever arrested at the DEA. The cannabis plant cannot support an 86% potent THC. The plant would die. You can't get THC to 86% in the cannabis plant. He said, this ain't cannabis. I said, yes, it is. I bought it, remember? No, what you bought was genetically modified, chemically extracted resin oil in a vape cartridge with 16 chemicals in it. And Sean consumed that and had a stroke and a seizure, you need to take us to the place where you bought this. So I took the four members of the DEA to Healing Hands Helping, Helping Hands Healing Guide uh, dispensary in Boulder, Colorado, and they spent about $4,000 at the store. <laughs> and they took all that stuff for testing. So let me explain what this means, 86% THC. Marijuana cannabis plant has been in the ground for thousands and thousands of years. Almighty God put cannabis in the ground. In 1960, we discovered the one molecule in marijuana that gets people high. It's called tetrahydrocannabinoid, THC. It was discovered in 1960 at the University of Mississippi, and they named it Delta 9. University of Mississippi, Delta 9. Okay. It was 1%. 1985, the first medical molecule that was attributed to some sort of medicinal benefit, CBD, cannabidiol, they discovered it in 1985. And the ironic thing was, THC was 1%, CBD was 1%. Just like everything God gives us, it's perfect when he gives it to us. Just like everything God gives us, we screw it up. So over the next 51 years, we messed with THC Delta 9. And they took marijuana potency from 1% to 12% in 2011. That's marijuana, ladies and gentlemen. That's cannabis. And we took that one molecule to 12%. It took them 51 years to do it. In 2012, that's when Colorado legalized marijuana for recreational purposes. And in two years, in just two years... It went from 12 to 37. It took 51 years to get from 1 to 12. It took two years to get from 12 to 37. And now, ladies and gentlemen, it's 100. It's 100. The average resin, wax, and oil in vapes and dabs is about 80 to 90%. 80 to 90%. So... I made a lot of predictions, and I've been doing this and speaking on this since 2015. And people aren't really paying attention to how bad it is. Well, let me explain real quick as I come to a close soon what happened with the tobacco industry, marijuana, and vaping. Altria is the largest vaping company in the world. The second largest vaping company in the world is called R.J. Reynolds Vapor. Number one and number two. Altria is owned by China Tobacco. China Tobacco is the largest tobacco conglomerate on the face of the earth. R.J. Reynolds Vapor is owned by British American. They're number two. The number one and number two tobacco company in the world owns the number one and number two vaping company in the world, and they control 90% of the vaping market. Vaping was never invented by anyone to help people quit smoking. Vaping was Invented and owned by Big Tobacco, 
who knew exactly what they were doing, they needed to target children. For the last 75 years, the tobacco industry has targeted kids. That's part of their strategy. Get them young so you got a smoker for life. Get them young so you can get them addicted. Get them young because they're susceptible and they're vulnerable and they're gullible. If you get kids young, you got them for life. The two biggest tobacco companies in the world own the two biggest vaping companies in the world. So in 2015, when I did that movie, Marijuana X, that vaping device that Sean hit, I took it apart. I've cracked open 780 vapes. Just understand the science behind an electronic nicotine delivery system or an electronic drug delivery system. There's three parts to it. There's some that have more, but every vape has three. If it's liquid, there's an e-juice canister or a reservoir at the bottom where the e-juice goes, or a pod or a cartridge takes its place, or an insert. Component number one. Component number two is a battery. You have to have a battery for a vape to work. Component number three is a heating element. It's called an atomizer. And when you put a vape in your mouth and you ingest, you power the battery to heat the coils of the atomizer to 200 degrees Fahrenheit. The flash point of synthetic nicotine is 200 degrees Fahrenheit. When it gets to the end of that aerosol of the device, it's between 100 and 150 degrees Fahrenheit. When it hits your lungs, it is 100 degrees Fahrenheit. Finally, in eight years of screaming my head off, the CDC just announced last month that within 30 days of vaping, you develop bronchitis. It's called bronchiolitis obliterans within 30 days of vaping. And the earlier the onset, the younger the kid, the more serious and, 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 and life-changing uh, the damage is. And irreversible. Irreversible. The only way to reverse serious lung damage like that is with a lung transplant. And guess what? They're not too easy to come by. This is scary as can be. The tobacco industry lied to America. They even made some vapes look like cigarettes. They lied to America. They said this was to help people quit smoking, and they lied. They were not telling the truth. So they flavored the pens for a reason. The reason was kids. There's over 7,000 vape flavors right now. We, listen, you go to Baskin Robbins, and you're excited for 32. We have 7,000 flavors of vapes. We don't have 7,000 flavors of candy in this country. 7,000 flavors of vaping devices. Now, in 1999, 34% of high school kids smoked cigarettes. We educated high school kids starting in the year 2000 about what tobacco products do to the brain and the body. And look what happened. See that red line? That red line is high school cigarette smoking. It went from 34% to 7% in 15 years. It's the only time in American history I could point to something and show you we reduced addiction through education. Here it is. We took cigarette smoking in high school from 34% to 7%. Probably no one in this room is old enough to remember. At 40% of high schools in this country, we had smoking lounges in the high schools. We had smoking areas in the high schools. In my high school, even as a freshman, if you had parental permission, you could carry cigarettes in your pocket in school. You can go to the smoking lounge and smoke with a teacher between biology and social studies. 34% of high school students were smoking cigarettes. We educated them and it plummeted to 7%. Well, look what happened in 2011. That's when the vape mass market in this country, the vape, 
If you have Netflix, I urge you to watch a documentary called The Big Vape. The Big Vape. You want to see what Big Tobacco did? It is the best documentary I've ever had the privilege of working on, The Big Vape. 2013, a product comes out called Juul, J-U-U-L. They made a four-flavor starter pack, and they marketed it to middle school students. They spent $10 million getting 10 social media influencers who had extensive middle school followers, and they paid them a million apiece to market the jewel to middle school kids. And look what happened in 2013. That purple line exploded. Big Tobacco saved their industry on the backs and respiratory systems of our children. So... All this is about politics. With all due respect, the Obama administration did absolutely nothing. With all due respect, the Trump administration did absolutely nothing, except they did make smoking and vaping 21 years of age. The Biden administration comes into office, and they told the FDA, ban Juul, ban them. And the courts protected them. The courts stepped in and told Biden's FDA they can't do anything. So three administrations Nobody has done a darn thing to protect our children from big tobacco. And now we have a crisis of epic proportions. Okay. That's a jewel. There's the starter pack. That's the four-flavor star uh, starter pack that they marketed to middle school students. Okay. That's the jewel. Okay, next slide. And um, they put CBD in pods. Next slide. They put all these other uh, flavors in pods. All these companies came up with all these slides. Next. There's a store in it. It made it look like a mirror compact so girls could fit it in their pocket or in their uh, purses. Next one. They made all these pens. They wrapped them with sleeves. The next one. So this is a jewel on the left-hand side, and Jewel had all these knockoffs. So they gave, they realized they're going to have all these copies of knockoffs, so they gave their technology to 80 different companies. Next one. And so all of a sudden, the pods were manufactured by companies everywhere. That's the views. And the views came up with the first disposable called a Ciro, where you just use it and throw it away. Don't know where all the environmentalists were. We couldn't have straws in America, but they weren't saying nothing about vaping devices, right? Okay, so that's the first disposable, and they didn't realize how kids would love it. Next one. So all of a sudden, the disposables came into play. Next one. And this is a puff bar. This is very popular. It's the sixth selling device in America right now, sixth leading selling device in America. If you see on that casing, it says 5%. The crazy thing about this is it's not 5%. It's 0.5. Now, I was never really good in math, but I know that 0.5 is not 5. 0.5 is 50. 50% nicotine. There is a carton and a half of nicotine in one puff bar. You smoke a puff, or you use a vape puff, that's a carton and a half of cigarettes. I know kids who are using a puff bar a day, a puff bar every other day. Okay, next slide. So now they went to disposables. Next one, and then one after that. I know my slides. <laughs> Mr. Fogg, this is a third selling device in America. It's got arsenic in it. It has benzene in it. It has propylene glycol in it. Some of the same chemicals that are volatile organic compounds that, are, that, that people were scared about that fell off that train in Palestine, Ohio. And these kids are putting it into their mouths. Next slide. So this is the number one selling device in America. It's called an elf bar. It has got poison in it. It's got riatamide in it, which is a cancer-causing uh, um, carcinogen. 
And um, these kids are using these things. Look at all the flavors. The next one. So the Breeze, the next one. All these different devices. Candy Kings, marketed to children. The next line. So the Vaptasias, the Juice Heads, right? Next one. Look at this. Let's make the vape look like a Slurpee. They're not marketing these to adults, ladies and gentlemen. They're marketing these to children. The next slide. Next one. This is all on uh, chewing tobacco. Next one. Next one. Sorry. Next one. So uh, next one. There we go. The pen. All right. Oh, wow. Maybe it's working again. Okay, parents, this is a pen, and it writes just like a cross pen. It's really nice. It's $40. It's got beautiful writing. But the top of the pen is an atomizer. So I could be sitting in my room doing my homework. I put my pen in my mouth and hit that button, and I could take a hit of weed off my pen and then go back to my homework. I could sit in my classroom five feet from my teacher, be doing my assignment, put my pen in my mouth, and then blow it in my shirt. It's a pen with a vape pen inside, a pen that's a vape pen. Here's an inhaler, an asthma pump, ladies and gentlemen. Not for asthma, but I'm going to take a hit, an asthma pump. The one on the left is melatonin, the next one is nicotine, the next one is marijuana. Marijuana in an asthma pump. Here's flavored marijuana in asthma pumps. Okay, so um, next slide. So on the left-hand side is a, um, is it going though? Back one. I'm trying not to go back one. Okay, I'm sorry. This is a vape watch. The cartridge goes in the band of the watch on the right-hand side. The one on the left looks like an iPhone watch. You pull the top of the watch off, and you put the cartridge underneath it, and you put your pot watch back on it. So now it's right, too, 24 hours a day. It's not right twice a day. It's a functioning watch. So now you can put your watch in your mouth and vape off your wrist. Vape watch. Let's make it easy for kids to hide this, right? Let's make it easy for kids to use this and, and disguise it and, and, and be, be discreet. There's a vapor cup on the left-hand side, so you can get your hot cocoa and your coffee in the morning, and you can vape off your cup. The atomizer is embedding into the lining of the vapor cup. On the right-hand side is a key fob. It's not a real key fob. It looks like a key fob. In fact, if it was on your keychain, you, you wouldn't even know. If you were a school resource officer, you, I've seen these kids put these devices on their keychains in little dishes as they're coming through metal detectors in the school in the morning. And I'm seeing the key fob right there. I'm like, bro, that's not a key fob. That's a vape. What? Yeah, that's a vape. Here's another one. The next slide. The next slide is one for weed. Look at this. A weed key fob. Stealthy key fob for weed. Isn't this crazy? So, next slide. Here's a, uh, a hoodie. So it goes into the chest compartment. It's rechargeable. The cartridge is replaceable. And you, one end of the string is a tube, and you vape off the other end of your tube. A hoodie that's disguised as a vape. And they also make, next slide, they also make a book bag. It's rechargeable on the bottom with a USB. She's vaping off her shoulder strap. Here's a book bag. That is a vape embedded into the lining of the book bag. Next slide. So this is a charger for the back of your phone, but it really doesn't charge your phone. Just looks like it's charging your phone, and it's a vape. 
So all you got to do is hide that little cartridge at the top, like in your pocket or in your bra, put it in your phone, and you can vape off the back of your phone. Next slide. So I tell parents this all the time. If you ever see those large Sharpies, they have small Sharpies and they have large ones. If you ever see a large one, just pop the top because a lot of vapes fit in the bottom of the Sharpies. And they're showing kids on TikTok how to take the inside of the Sharpie out and hide their vape inside their Sharpie. Next slide. So I'm in Michigan. I walk into an art class. I'm doing class to class all day. And this kid has four highlighters on his desk. And I go, hey, bro, can I take a picture of your highlighters? He's like, why? I said, this is why, and I took the vape out of the orange highlighter. The one on the right is a colorations highlighter. It says colorations on it. That's a highlighter. The other three are vape cases with hidden vapes in the highlighter case. It even says highlighter on the case. So now we want kids to hide their vapes and their highlighter pens. Next slide. And then the next one, they're making markers like that. They're making patches so their kids can hide their vape pods on their coat and their jackets in the next slide. So this is a, a next slide. So this is a bong disguised as a water bottle. So you can have a water bottle on your backpack, but it's really a bong disguised as a water bottle. Next slide. So I told you we're now at 100%. This is a dank tank, one of the most popular selling marijuana devices with va for vaping. 100%. I hate how they say no butane on it because it's full of butane. Next slide, I'll show you how it's made. They, I went to Denver to this plant. They wouldn't let me film, but they let me take pictures. This guy's got a three-foot Pyrex tube, right? And he hooks it into these machines from floor to ceiling, and they hook these black rubber hoses up to the orange brackets, and then they blast butane and propane through the tubes to burn through all the plant matter, the flour, and this is what comes out the other side. The next slide. So this is what they get out, resin, right? 84%, 87% in the middle, and the thing on the upper right-hand side is 97%, next slide, THC called shatter, earwax, crack wax. This is called marijuana. They're calling this marijuana. That's not marijuana. It's emanating from the cannabis plant, but it's chemically extracted, genetically modified, industrialized and commercialized, and turned into a psychoactive hallucinogenic psychosis, schizophrenia-inducing poison. And that's what's happening all across this country. That's what's happening all across this country. And people are still running around saying marijuana is okay. Well, I believe in medicinal marijuana. I believe in medical marijuana. I don't want to fill our prisons with marijuana addicts. That's never, that's not happened since the 70s. No, I was 12 years in prison. I've been going into prisons for the last 17 years. No one's in prison for marijuana possession. No one is in prison. The only people in prison for marijuana possession uh, were possessed 40 kilos of marijuana with weapons and, and money. And oh, by the way, fentanyl and heroin and cocaine. No one's going to prison for a joint. Did we do that in the 70s and the 80s? Yes. We did, but then taking the pendulum and swinging it to over here is not the answer. We're causing more problems, and it's devastating communities of color. It's devastating children. It's devastating churches. It's devastating schools. It's devastating America. The next slide. So this is THCA crystalline. That is not crystal meth or crack. That's THCA crystalline, 100% pure THCA crystalline, and that's being sold all over this country. Next slide. And now we're putting it in edibles. As Keith said earlier, the edibles, it's out of control, right? And so 
uh, next two more slides. Lastly, let me just show you what happened in 2018. I know, I know New York legalized marijuana for recreational purposes. And I know there's been so much, I've been following it like, like a New Yorker, I've been following it. Um, I know there's all sorts of positions and sides and things that have gone wrong with marijuana legalization laws in New York. And that's marijuana legalization sold in a dispensary by a licensed dispensary. But New York has legalized marijuana uh, because the federal government legalized it. I went to, I was in Nanua, I went to a gas station er, this morning on my way up here, and um, there's a gas station. When you walk in the gas station, I bought waters, and the entire counter, it's got plexiglass from top to bottom, is lined with vapes, okay, and kratom and all this other stuff, cigars. But all these vapes with marijuana are sold right in the gas station. You buy marijuana in a gas station now in New York. Not just New York, Tennessee, Virginia, Georgia. In 2018, President Trump was given the farm bill. It was a great bill, it really was. Great for farmers, great for agriculture, right? The farm bill. Inside the farm bill, they buried the legalization of hemp, H-E-M-P, hemp. Next slide. Hemp is a great product. There's a lot of good juices that come out of hemp. But inside hemp, there are two molecules that are psychoactive. Just like Delta-9 and cannabis, that molecule I showed you went up the chart for 51 years. Two, two molecules in hemp to get you high, Delta-8 and Delta-10. So the next slide. So when they legalized hemp, they legalized marijuana. So we're now taking Delta-8 and Delta-10 out of the hemp plant, and we're putting it in vapes and cartridges and edibles all over this country, and it's fully legal. And the scariest thing about it is there's no age restriction at all because nobody anticipated people buying this stuff to get you high. The people who put it in the bill knew exactly what they were doing. Chuck Schumer, Nancy Pelosi, Mitch McConnell, Kevin McCarthy, Republicans and Democrats, they knew exactly what they were doing. Next slide. Now we're putting Delta-8 in cartridges and selling them at gas stations. That one on the left, Candy Jack, that was in that gas station in Nanuet this morning. Cloud-8, 92% Delta-8 THC. If you as an adult use that, you're going to get very, very high. Very high. If a child uses it, there's a chance it could go to the hospital. The two vape things on the right-hand side, I bought that in Iowa at a 7-Eleven. A 7-Eleven. Next slide. So this is cake, cake bars, the kids call them. It's the most popular selling device with marijuana in America. Delta 10, super sour diesel and green crack. I bought them at gas stations in Mississippi. Next slide. So um, these are rare bars on the left-hand side. Bought them in Georgia. Rare roll-ups, pre-rolls. I bought them in, uh, in uh, South Carolina. Um, they get you very high. The next slide. So the one on the left, I bought in North Carolina, and the two on the right, I bought in a souvenir shop in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Not a smoke shop, not a vape shop, not a dispensary, because they don't have recreational marijuana in South Carolina. I bought it at a souvenir shop on the Grand Strand in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, the next one. So the four boxes on the left-hand side, I bought in Salt Lake City, Utah, and I bought them at a thrift store, a thrift store. They were selling cases at the front 
making more money than they were making at that thrift store. I don't know if the thrift store was a front, but they were more customers at the counter up front buying CBD and THC than there were in the thrift store. And the next day, I was in Rock Springs, Wyoming at a gas station, so I bought all those. And I, everything I buy, I have tested, right? Next slide. Here is THC-O. The next slide. Here's another flavor of it. Apple Gush. THC-O is synthetic Delta-9. Here's another one. They add hydrogen to it and call it hydrogenated THC. The next slide is hydrogenated THC. 95%. Do you see that? 95%. 95%. Next slide. So those are Pop Rocks on the bottom right-hand side. I bought them at Disney. Between SeaWorld and Universal Studios, there's a souvenir and a restaurant strip called International Drive. I bought it at a souvenir shop. There was cases next to all the Disney apparel. CBD, they called it. It's not CBD. Look at the top Herb Rocks. Triangle, which is Delta 9. Delta 9. Florida doesn't have recreational marijuana. How are they selling this? Next slide. So this has all been legalized by the federal government. Those three cereal bars I bought at a gas station in Bardstown, Kentucky. Cereal bars. Isn't that nice? Next slide. So the bag on the left is Skittles. The bag on the right is Skittles with weed in it. If you believe we should put marijuana in edibles, why do we have to make it look like candy that kids would mistake for candy? Now, there's a sticker on that bottle, a bag on the right-hand side. It peels right off. It's a sticker that peels right off the packet, right? It says eight per, Delta 8, 250 milligrams. Now, I know it says medicated on it. I know it's got a California stamp on it. But how does your first, second, third, fourth grader know it's not candy? So, next slide. A sixth grader brings them to school, shares them with five kids. If you look closely, this company changes the last S in Skittles to a Z. He brings them to school, shares them with five kids at lunch. By 1 o'clock, they're all catonic in the classroom. Teachers are freaking out. They call the ambulances. And they bring six kids to the hospital. Three stay overnight. The newspaper jumps to a conclusion that six kids were rushed to a hospital because of edibles. And they say it must have been fentanyl. So the newspaper actually prints that story. I'm watching the news that night, and Sean Hannity... Rachel Maddow and Anderson Cooper, Fox, MSNBC, CNN, all had this story. When was the last time you saw a single story be covered the same way on Fox, MSNBC, and CNN? Fentanyl candy in a metro middle school in Georgia. Well, it wasn't fentanyl candy. It was Delta 8. It was Delta 8 candy. Next slide. Kid buys it online at a place called Earth's Dew. Earth Stew, $30. Here's another one, the next slide. He used to buy it here, Space Coast CBD. They are $39.99, so he wanted to save $10 and went to the other site. Here's a frugal sixth grader, right? But um, when you go to this website, a big warning pops up onto the screen, and it says, are you 21 years of age or older? Yes or no? Now, I know that's tricky for a kid. Yes. You're in. Now you can order it and UPS will deliver it to your house. And that's what kids are doing. Your next slide. They're not going into a dark web. They're going into the web. That came from a seventh grader at Bergenfield Middle School in Bergenfield, New Jersey. He bought it at a vape shop across the street from the school. He's in seventh grade. The police were up in arms. The parents were up in arms. And they wanted to know how this happened. 
how could a seventh grader buy it? And technically, it said Delta 8 on it. There's no age restriction. He's 12 or 11. 12, I think. He bought it legally. He bought it legally. Next slide. So look at those Skittles gummies on the right-hand side. Where on there does it say it's got weed in it? It doesn't. It says it on the back. Mad Chills is a real candy. Candy clusters. Look, Delta 8. They put it on the front. But why would we allow kids' candy to be used? Here's the next one. Watch this. Sour patches turned into stone patches. There is a real candy called Spaceballs, and it's identical. The packaging is identical. The next slide. Airheads and air bites are real candies. They've turned them into skyheads and high bites. Why would we allow candy to be, where's the, here's the next slide, right? Um, nerd ropes. You peel that sticker off the nerd ropes, it looks exactly like the candy. Starburst gummies, why would we allow Starburst to be turned into cannabis? Wouldn't we care that kids might mistake it? Kids might mistake the candy for, you know, candy, okay? Um, next slide. This is in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. The attorney general had a press conference. They busted a chain of 13 vape shops that were selling these products. Ruffles potato chips, Kellogg's cookie and crisp, Kellogg's frosted flakes. So they confiscated all this stuff out of 13 vape shops and they were all open three days later. Selling the same stuff, I've been there, selling the same stuff. And you know what the attorney general told the newspaper reporter from the Philadelphia paper? What do you want us to do? Bust them and shut them down every week? No, just do it last time. One time, shut them down. Make this illegal. No, they're not going to make it illegal. They're not making this illegal. This is fully legal. Fully legal. It's the scariest thing I've ever seen in my life. How about cereal bars? Cereal bars. Where's the General Mills Corporation? How are you allowing these people to put Honey Nut Cheerios and Apple Jacks and Tricks and Booberry on vapes? See that back of the one I circled, THC? 85 to 90%. We're selling cereal bars to children. And vapes, and it says Delta 8 on it, so technically it's legal. Now, I bought all, the, I, I, this all happened in the state of Kentucky, and thankfully, because of what I did, the state of Kentucky made a law that you have to be 21 to buy Delta 8. Thank God. But they didn't do anything about Delta 10. They didn't do anything about Delta 11. Now we have 12, 13, 6. They didn't do anything about anything else, only the Delta 8. So you know what all the companies are doing? They're taking Delta 8 off their packaging and they're putting Delta 10 on their packaging. And you don't even know what's inside. It could be Delta 9. You can't even test it. Next slide. They're not even telling you what chemicals are in this. Gummies, next slide. Edibles, next slide. Star buds. So look, sour tropical blends, next slide. All over the country. All over the country. Savannah, Georgia, Kuro, Texas, next slide. I've been buying this stuff all over the country. Savannah, that's a whole jar of joints. Joints in a gas station. Okay, next slide. This is crazy, but we have vegan options. Look, vegan gummies. Isn't that nice? Vegan gummies. Next slide. Okay, uh, Happy Pens. You go on their website, it said, did the COVID lockdowns and school lockdowns get you depressed and anxious? Who are they marketing? Happy Pens do? Happy Pens. Yeah, get happy with a vape pen with weed in it. Delta 10. Next slide. Okay, so... Not your moms, excuse the middle fingers, but um, this is what they're selling, and they're celebrating it. They're celebrating it. The industry's celebrating it. Next slide. Um, mind tricks, peanut butter and jelly and cookies and cream. So, next slide. 
it's just these are more examples. Next slide. You could, you could go forward a couple slides. Keep going. So here's a crazy thing. Uh, back one, New York, right? New York. So that was in, uh, um, it begins with an S. Oh, my gosh. Up by Albany. It was right by Albany. Anyway, in the state of New York, you had a legislator ban um, the sale of whipped cream cans in supermarkets to kids under 21. In the state of New York, you can't buy a whipped cream can. You can buy whipped cream in the container, but you can't buy a can of whipped cream in New York at a supermarket unless you're 21. Because kids are turning them upside down and doing whippets. That's what they're called, whippets, nitric oxide. Okay, that was at a gas station in, uh, I can't, can't believe it's, not by, it's by Ithaca. I bought that at a gas, I, I, I mean, that, I didn't buy them. I bought the whippets on the right-hand side. But that's at a gas station. Whippets. You don't have to go to a grocery store to get whipped to whippets. You can buy the actual whippets in a gas station. So the next slide, I bought them at a, at a vape shop. And I mean, a smoke shop, yeah. Whippets, look. How many's in the, 24-pack. A 24-pack of whippets. Mm-hmm. That's not whipped cream. You, you ban one thing, and you open up another door somewhere else. You have to get rid of the demand, not the supply. The supply, as long as the demand is there, the supply will always be. If the demand's not there, the supply will go away. You know, that, that, that's the problem with the war on drugs. We spent billions of dollars going after the supply. And how's that worked out for us? We built the prison industrial complex on the backs of minorities. We built this prison industrial complex on minorities and the poor and mentally ill and kids and addicts. We built a prison industrial complex because we went and spent trillions of dollars going after the supply. And we made the war machine wealthy and we destroyed children's lives. Next slide. So you have to go after the demand. Cannabis hyperemesis syndrome. You're going to start to hear a lot more about that in New York. The next slide. That's when you can't stop vomiting. Cannabis-induced psychosis. I have personal knowledge of the boy from Susquehanna uh, Valley High School. Um, was it Susquehanna Valley? No. If, uh, uh, Conklin, New York. He drove to Buffalo and went at the top supermarket and shot 17 African Americans, killing 10 of them. Was he racist? Oh, yeah, he sure was. I got his manifesto. It was online by 1 o'clock that afternoon. Was he racist? 100%. But I don't care who you are, and I really, I don't care how racist a person can be. You cannot go into a supermarket and kill 17 people who have a different skin color than you because you're racist. Nope. There's, no, there's not enough racism in a person's body. It takes more. And that kid was vaping high-potent THC for five years. He was in full-blown cannabis-induced psychosis. This is a crisis of epic proportions, and it's going to get worse. Mark my words, it's going to get worse. The next slide. This is why we got to educate our kids. Next slide. They don't think it's a problem. Next slide. They don't, these kids don't think it's a problem. I and mean, a lot of them are addicted. Addicted. So you can skip three slides, I think. Let me say one, two, three. Next one. Okay, we cannot treat this vaping as a legal issue, even with marijuana and other illicit drugs in them. It cannot only be a legal issue. We have to treat this as a medical issue because it's a medical issue, no different than smoking cessation. Next slide. We have to get to our kids and let them understand. Vaping is harder to quit than cigarettes. Vaping is more dangerous than cigarettes because the synthetic nicotine is not nicotine and it's three times the concentration level. And secondhand vape exhalation is much more dangerous to bystanders than secondhand smoke from a cigarette. People need to understand that. I always tell people don't smoke around your kids, but I see people vaping around their kids. It's worse, much worse. 
We got to tell people you can't vape around other people. There's more toxins and carcinogens in the exhalation from a vape inhalation than there is from a puff of a cigarette. Next slide. Kids don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Please remember that. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care, but kids don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. That was a Teddy Roosevelt quote, came from Zig Ziglar. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. I changed it to kids. You can't lecture to kids. You've got to show them that you care, tell them why you care, and show them what they are unaware of so we can educate them. So next slide. Um, I'm not just talking about medical complications and death. I'm talking about the cognitive function of the brain. The next slide, I'm talking about the psychological capacity of a child's life. Their skill acquisition, their creativity, their communication skills, their retention of knowledge, their academic regression is suffering because of COVID and digital learning and disconnection, but now it's being fueled by nicotine and chemicals. Then we got a lot of kids on drugs like antidepressants and anti-anxiety medication, and they're vaping, and they're adding a stimulant to an antidepressant because they're vaping nicotine. Or they're vaping weed, so now you're adding a hallucinogen into an antidepressant. And we're seeing all these problems unfold. Next slide, and I'm almost done. Next slide. This is um, the only way to prevent addiction is to prevent it from starting in the first place. And the only place we can do that is with our children. The only place we can do that is with our kids. We have to prevent it from starting in the first place. So the next slide. Um, I have all sorts of materials that I can provide you, booklets, materials, what have you. Um, that book I recommend, and then there's the elementary school version of it also. Now, I know it says Twitter up there. Twitter's now X, Instagram, Facebook. If you shoot that QR code, it'll take you to our website, or you can just go to our website. On my website, I have a free fentanyl curriculum. On my website, I have a free vaping curriculum. On my website, I have a free drug curriculum. On my website, I have a free Parrington curriculum. Two, actually. And then I have one called Success for Teens. I want people to understand the seriousness of this matter. But we've got to start with our children, and we've got to educate them about alcohol, about nicotine, and about marijuana. So I uh, go to schools all over the country. Thankfully, because of the Counselors Association in New York, New York is my third highest state in America for visiting. I haven't done, uh, I did North Rockland School about a year ago. I haven't been back. I didn't do the middle school, which I need to do. I didn't do the elementary schools. But I want to go into every school in New York. I really need to educate kids about what's going on. And so I want to go to schools all over the state. I want to go to schools all over the country. I can come to speak to any school, small or large, and I can provide all this education. On my website is continuing education, and I urge you to follow it. Go follow me on Facebook, follow me on Twitter or X and Instagram. But if you go to our website, there is so much information to continue to get educated on, and you can share it with everyone that you know. Share it with everyone that you know. So I want to see if anybody has any questions. I wanted to stop at one, so I wanted to see if anybody has any questions. I know I covered a lot. I talk about so much, but I feel you need to know all this. You just need to know. So does anyone have any questions now that I've traumatized everybody? Colleges, yeah, um, I, I've done about 50, 60 colleges. Um, vaping is decreasing in colleges. 
Vaping is decreasing in colleges, but marijuana vaping is skyrocketing, and marijuana edibles is skyrocketing, and so is the pills, which is why the fentanyl is increasing so much. But yeah, I'll definitely go to colleges. So I'll be around if you want to ask me any questions. I'm so grateful for you being here. I'm so grateful for your time. Please share my information with as many people as you uh, can. Thank you so much for letting me share it. Thank you very much. <laughs>